Welcome back to Ingredient Insiders. I'm John Magazzino. And I'm Andrea Parkins. Each week, we'll be talking with world-famous chefs and authors about their favorite ingredients. We'll then be talking to the food producers about how they make those items and why chefs love them. So, Andrea, today we are talking about an ingredient that is so near and dear to both of us, the big P. You know what I'm talking about? Pastrami. Yes. I love pastrami. We're very lucky to live in the New York area, which is kind of like... The pastrami capital of the world. Yeah, it's like pastrami mecca. I mean, this is where you can find some of the greatest pastrami on the planet. Not to say that Los Angeles doesn't have great pastrami. It does. Not to say that Montreal doesn't have something called smoked meat, Mm -hmm. which is really good and pastrami, basically. When I think of pastrami... I think of New York City, and I think of these sandwiches that are piled high with this delicious, tender, salty, peppery, amazing meat. What's your favorite pastrami? My favorite pastrami, which I think we should probably talk about finding our favorite pastrami. Okay, let's talk about the best pastrami spots in New York City. Ready? Let's just go back and forth. You start. Second Avenue Deli. Katz's. Pastrami Queen. Liebman's. That's my number one. In the Bronx. We went there, John, together. We had lunch. When we went to Liebman's, I was so impressed with their pastrami. It was sliced really thin. Hand sliced. Hand sliced, which is important. And also the bread, you know, you don't really think about as much, but I thought the bread was phenomenal. So here's a little funny story. So Liebman's Kosher Deli, it's in Riverdale, the Riverdale section of the Bronx. You know, for most of my life, I've been a Katz's Deli person. You know, Katz's is the very historic delicatessen on Houston Street in New York. I think it's been there since maybe the 1800s. My parents would bring me, when I was 14 years old, I think I've experienced my first pastrami sandwich at Katz's. It's kind of a life-changing thing once you get your hands on one of those. When was Katz's founded, Andrea? 1888. Yeah, see? Wow, I am surprised. Yes. I think Katz's is great. It has some nostalgia, I think, for a lot of people. If, if you've seen the movie. When Harry Met Sally, yeah. I have. I'll have what she's having. Correct. Well, I'm glad you brought up When Harry Met Sally. I was able to meet and befriend Nora Ephron, who was the writer of When Harry Met Sally. Mm-hmm. And she was a huge pastrami fan. And I had asked her on one occasion... What was her favorite pastrami in New York? And then actually she did a story for New York Magazine on this. They did multiple tastings and cuttings. And do you know what her answer was? What? She said, it's not New York. It's Langer's Deli in Los Angeles. And my head did a 360 because I was like, Los Angeles? I later found out, you know, Nora grew up in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And she said, exactly to your point, it's about the bread. And what Langer's does is they buy their rye bread par-baked. They warm it up just before serving, slice it. And so you get a very good pastrami on a very high quality bread. And I'll tell you, I've been to Langer's a couple times and it's excellent. What's your number one? I'm with you 100% Liebman's Kosher Deli. If you're listening to this program and you live within 100 miles of New York City and you happen to like pastrami, you really (laughs) owe it to yourself to go to Liebman's Kosher Deli. It is the last bastion of this 
neighborhood Jewish kosher deli, deli. Yeah. and it's a dying breed. I mean, it's, um, it's very sad to say they've been there since the 1950s. Sometimes it's heartbreaking to me when I walk in there and there's not a lot of customers. Right. I'm sure they do a healthy takeout business and you're going to go in there. You're probably going to have the best pastrami sandwich in America. Yeah. And that's a big statement. What I think is also so cool. You know, we're talking to Nikki Liberato. You're talking about this like dying breed and he's trying to rejuvenate, you know, Jewish deli. Absolutely. And Nick has a restaurant outside of Philadelphia now called the Borscht Belt. You walk in there, you feel like you kind of stepped off the subway a little bit. And I was really inspired by the story of the Catskills and this time, this golden age. To your point, he's trying to really bring this great heritage and, and food culture of the Jewish deli into the 21st century. And we're also going to be speaking with Jeremy Schaller from Schaller and Weber. For anybody who lives in New York City, you know, you're probably familiar with their location on the Upper East Side. We've gone through different periods of our pastrami. When my grandfather started, it was a brisket pastrami. Then my father changed it to a navel. They changed it to a top round. Then my dad wanted to change it back to a navel. <laughs> and then we decided with Harold, who's our production manager, to go back to a double A brisket. So that's what we use now. I believe it's a third or fourth generation uh, German sausage maker, and they have an amazing pastrami. This episode is in partnership with The Chef's Warehouse and produced by Hey Now Media. Well, Andrea, today we have a friend in the studio, and I'm so excited. His name is Chef Nick Liberato. Nick grew up on the East Coast. When I met him, he was cooking on the West Coast in LA. We were neighbors, actually. But do you know where I met him? Where? In South America, of all places. <laughs> there was a food and wine festival going on in Bogota, Colombia. Mm -hmm. How many years ago, Nick? I don't even know. Uh, I'd say 2010, 2011. So 10 years ago. Yeah. He was cooking a sumptuous banquet gala type dinner. Mm -hmm. I was there to do a presentation on truffles. Great food festival. But just a fun time. And then on like the last couple of nights, Nick and I got to go out. There's this incredible restaurant called Andre Carne de Rey in Bogota. We won't we don't have time to talk about it, but it's probably the most amazing restaurant on planet Earth, in my opinion. Absolutely. It's a big statement. And him and I, I have pictures of him on my <laughs> phone to this day from like four o'clock in the morning with him like bouncing up and down on the dance floor. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, that was I, pretty wild. I was doing research on Nick and I realized that we grew up in the same town kind of a similar pedigree in that way. Uh, high school rivals. I grew up cooking uh, in that. That's kind of where I got my start working at my cousin's restaurant, which is called Charcoal um, in Yardley. And, you know, you grew up. Which I know very well. I've been going to for years. Super excited to be talking to you. And obviously, you know, you opened your restaurant in Stockton, New Jersey called mm -hmm. Borscht Belt. Yep. So today we're going to be talking about pastrami. Pastrami is the ingredient today. But I want to go back a little bit with Nick because you're Italian. You grew up in Pennsylvania. Yep. As mentioned, I met you. You were cooking at some of the greatest restaurants in Los Angeles. And now you've opened up the classic New York Jewish deli in New Jersey. Yes. How do you get to that point? <laughs> Moving cross country, I had already linked up with my business partner and we had talked about opening up a Sicilian seafood inspired restaurant in New Hope. Actually, we wanted oh, to do. Very nice. I was very That's excited a lot like about a Jewish that. Deli. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Very different. What had happened, just like many other people, you know, life changed when the pandemic hit. So I had to be smart as far as where I was positioning money and how we were going to go about it, especially my first splash on the East Coast and opening something up. Quickly, we 
shifted and started thinking about recession, pandemic-proof type businesses that would stand the test of time, things that have made it from the early 1900s, pizza, Chinese food. And my business partner had said bagels. And I was like, oh, I love bagels. I haven't made a lot. I've made them a few times. Um, it's pretty good. And then I had said to him, what about a Jewish deli? And we started elaborating on that and talking about it and all the great experiences we've both had in a number of places in whether it be Pennsylvania, LA, New Jersey, and of course, New York City. And we have a huge love for New York City. So we wanted to emulate that and, and create that delicious nostalgia, I think, which has been the biggest part of the success for the Borscht Belt. If you were to smell something and it reminds you your grandparents and things like that, that, make, that makes you feel good. That's like right up there with comfort food for me. There should be a preservation society for Jewish delis because, you know, really, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's I, I hate to say it, but it's a dying breed. Yeah. Nikki, what is pastrami? Like, what yeah. What cut of beef is it? Navel. How do you is make it? it? I mean, the navel. Don't even know. Yeah, the navel. And I mean, it, the, the interesting thing is how you compare it to corned beef and yeah, how many similarities, but the differences in preparation. You know, one is seasoned and smoked. The other one's boiled. You know, so like corned beef is corn boiled. boiled and the pastrami is, well, they're both brined. And then the one pastrami is seasoned, smoked, and then steamed where the other one is like brined. They all more or less end with the steam. What is pastrami seasoning? Obviously it's pepper. What else is in there? I've seen some people put coffee, your cracked pepper, uh -huh. your salt, your sugar, your cumin, coriander. I mean, there's so many different blends that a lot of different people have. Does anybody make pastrami at home? Like, is that a thing? I mean, I've never I even thought about it. I have certainly a lot of like big barbecue guys that'll tend to do it. And you could also do a turkey or mutton. Like, uh -huh. you know, there's different types of pastrami that people have done. I, I, I've i just had straight the, the beef is all I'm really interested in. But yeah. it's a big production to do at home as far as... Are you doing it in-house at Borscht Belt or are you, did you find a, someone who so, like does your recipe or whatever? Yeah. I mean, we, we bring it in through Chef's Warehouse. So we're working the... Is it the Allen Brothers one? Yeah. So, yeah. It's so good. So good. Has it already come peppered? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. had no idea. The facility though, I mean, we were doing everything in the beginning with the corned beef and brining everything and it just... It depends what your facility can uphold. When we did this place, it was looking at a place like Cats and very overwhelmed with all the different cutters and all the different steamers. They have like 15 of those steamers. We have one that I got custom made from Roger and Sons, this cool little spot in New York City. Well, it's my understanding that, and this, you know, spoiler alert, that Cats doesn't even cure their own pastrami. I did not know that. I don't know for sure, but I thought I'd been well, told that they've got an outside source <laughs> that helps them with it. Obviously, it's their recipe. Funny enough, Jake and Alan Dell, who own Cats, uh -huh. Alan lives in Stockton. Oh, that's hilarious. Crazy enough. I got very intimidated when I saw them come in, in there. I was like, oh my God, they're going to have our pastrami. But yeah, we had a lot of inspiration and um, things to kind of go off. Off of, but you know, there's plenty of integrity behind the place as far as all the things we're making fresh and how we're really trying to give that kind of New York vibe. And you walk in there, you feel like you kind of stepped off the subway a little bit, especially with the pandemic. Not as many people traveled up in New York. And John, as you were saying, the delis have been dying out, which they definitely have been. Yeah. So that was a big motivation to create that brand. And, and then we used the name, the Borscht Belt, which I didn't know in the beginning what it what it was but my business partner was kind of the last of the Borscht Bell kids and I was really inspired by the story of the Catskills and this time this golden age where Jewish families would be able to travel to a hotel a very reasonable price you would get your stay your three meals a day and a show and then with that you know all these great entertainers Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr. I mean, every comedian you could possibly imagine from Gary Chandler to Seinfeld and all that kind of stuff, I, I guess would be on tour through these areas. Right there at like, I believe 1979, 1980, Atlantic City 
was created, the Borscht Belt kind of turned into Chernobyl. As far as all these hotels being abandoned, you can look at pictures today when you Google the Borscht Belt in, in Catskills and you'll see all these hotels with like trees growing out of the lobbies and everything was just kind of just left as is. Kutchers. Kutchers. Yeah, I, Kutchers. I remember these names as a child. The Red too. Apple Rest. We kind of based our menu off of that. Yep. And those are all the names of the sandwiches or certain comedians. Ah. And then we kind of build off those colors and black tile with white grout and different things like that. So the aesthetics of the place, you eat with your eyes first when you yeah. walk into a place. The movie Dirty Dancing captures that yes. time Absolutely. and place a little mm -hmm. bit. That was what was going on there. Let's go back to pastrami. So what makes a great pastrami? Because sometimes you get pastrami. I've had really bad pastrami. I've had terrible pastrami. No disrespect to any like supermarkets. Can't go to a supermarket and buy like a pound of pastrami and think that, you know, on that deli slicer, no. you're going to end up with something good. Listen, you're only as good as your ingredients and then the preparation that you put behind it and then making sure that you keep it consistent. We did a number of different ways, as I was telling you before, is I was making my own pickles in the beginning and I was doing pastrami and corned beef and you have to build things for speed. I don't have a place that's got 15 different cutters like cats where you're getting things hand cut. So we, hand cut versus machine cut. Does we'll that hand make a cut, difference? Well, hand cut, it does make a difference. Pulling straight from the steamer and hand cutting, uh, I mean, you're getting it fresh right out of the steamer. But then when you're a small place with just one steamer, otherwise you're going to end up with like 40 minute ticket times. Keeping up with enough pastrami to steam because it's got to steam for three, four hours, depending on how many you're doing. So we actually slice it to order beforehand. And I went through a number of different slices. Like I got the parchment paper and I did this slice and I would write it down and start trying out all the different sandwiches with the different slices, the different types of pastrami that we, that we were trying out, different types of corned beef, different slices on the corned beef as well. I ended up doing like 3.5 on, on the slicer, which is what we're currently using right now. The fat content, I think that's been the biggest battle as far as reviews and how people like their pastrami because some people will be like, it's just too fatty. You can pay an extra charge for an upcharge for a leaner cut. Right. But people that order lean pastrami to me is almost the same person that orders a, a well-done steak. Right. I just don't yeah. trust them. Right. No, I'm yeah. just kidding. You no, know what I'm mean, saying? Like, <laughs> but I always say you should order, if you don't like the fattiness of pastrami, order corned beef. Correct. There's almost no fat or very little at least. Very little. It's just, it's the marblings differently, the, mm -hmm. the brining, you know, the process again, you yeah. know, it's smoking for steaming. It's got a different flavor. We do a much thinner cut with corned beef and just how palatable it is and the fat that carries and where you pick it up the best on the thinner cut. Because if you cut it thicker, it is a little bit drier. So that's mm -hmm. why the corned beef needs to be cut thinner. Where the pastrami, a little bit thicker, you're able to get that flavor. Uh, we do three quarters of a pound as opposed to cats that will do a pound, you know, and that's so you're just getting a, a pound on a sandwich of cats's. You get a, I believe, a pound of pastrami, and it's excellent. I mean, it's, oh yeah, it's you're committed when you go to cats. There's I'm a liner. I'm surprised. It's that much? No, that pastrami is. I didn't know that pastrami is fattier than corned beef. I always thought yeah. they were somewhat similar. Well, you cut similar. the fat cap off. Yeah, you know, you you separate the two sides of it on the corned beef. Mm -hmm. You'll slice from there, um, where the pastrami is just one big piece. Do you guys do what I do, which is I take the top lid of the bread off and then I probably eat like a third of the meat just on its own to kind of get that saltiness and fattiness. And then I like taste it and I kind of like am doing these like calculations, critiques in my head about how delicious it is. Then I'll slather more mustard on that bread. Mm -hmm. And then you've got a manageable sandwich. Because if you go to Katza sometimes, you can see, you know, people that are from out of town trying to figure out how to get that gigantic sandwich, which is wider than anybody's <laughs> mouth, yeah. into their mouth. Unhinging their jaws. And that's kind of always been my little, like, yeah. 
trick there is let's get this to a, a reasonable level. Reasonable level. And then, of course, having the right things with it. I now like to get a vanilla egg cream. Got to have the pickles. I like to consider myself like a sandwich connoisseur. Yeah. I love sandwiches. And I think it's all about like ratio and mouthfeel. Is it okay to put anything on a pastrami sandwich other than mustard? What's your opinions? I have a, a very strong opinion about this. I do enjoy Rubens. Okay. Imported Swiss, you know, some good coleslaw, which I know you love, John. I do. The right bread, of course, because bread can make or break a cheesesteak or a pastrami sandwich. But I am a very simple guy. And I think with the right mustard, the right bread, and the right pastrami, I'm perfectly fine with just that. Okay, we can be friends. Andrea? So... <laughs> I can have a purist moment where it's mustard only, but I've also done Russian dressing only. We can't be I'm friends. I'm sorry. I, I think. Are you looking at that like almost the person that dips their pizza in ranch? No, I, for me, it's mustard only. I am okay with a Reuben. I have no issue with a Reuben. I think they're delicious. Um, and I think I usually do a Reuben with corned beef though. Yeah. There's places offering with pastrami too. Okay. Let's start with that. But on rye... I'm not opposed to another type of bread either. I've done a pastrami sandwich on challah and it's so good. Yeah, I'm not opposed to that. But if I took a friend from outside of New York into a deli, whether it was the Borscht Belt or Katz's or Second Avenue, and they said, can you put mayo on that? I think I would turn beet red and run for the corner. <laughs> I didn't say mayo. No, I know. I said, but <laughs> no, but it's kind of like Russian a, to me is for roast beef. I'll get a like a sloppy joe with Russian dressing. I'll do corned beef and pastrami with Swiss cheese and coleslaw on the sandwich. I'm a purist. That's what this just yeah, comes down to. But I, like, I think there's a time and a place for that. Is there a difference between smoked meat, which they call it up in Canada, like Schwartz's, which is a great deli in Montreal, yep. and pastrami? I don't think so. I don't think so either. I don't yeah. think so. No, because they're smoked. There's also Myelin Deli in Brooklyn. I've been there. Which is doing... It's the, very good. ...the Montreal style... They have a good brisket. Smoked, yeah. Smoked I, I actually ate on a stoop right around the corner from there um, yeah. to try it out. And I enjoyed it. What is it that you guys love about pastrami? Like, what what is it when you bite into that sandwich? You know, for me, it's the seasoning rub on top of it. That being married with the smoke and the fat, that combination married together is uh, is really beautiful because it just, it gives you that Meg Ryan moment, I think, of where you can close your eyes or you get like salivating, so juicy, so with the bread and just, I mean, it's just, it's not a sandwich that you're able to get every day. Alan Ducasse, the amazing yeah. French chef who, you know, the first chef on the planet to get six Michelin stars at two different restaurants. He used to talk about his favorite thing about coming to the United States would be to go to a deli and get a pastrami sandwich. Yeah. That there's something about that meat. And then I remember when Chef's Warehouse, when I would have some of our suppliers, whether it was an olive oil maker or a cheese maker, somebody coming from Europe to New York, and I'm always trying to figure out, you know, I'm not going to take a, an olive oil maker to an Italian restaurant. I would always have a very happy supplier client when I took him out to a New York deli for a pastrami sandwich. It's a great idea. To your point, Nick, the wow factor when they see that sandwich. What's the number one ordered item at Borscht Belt? The pine sandwich, which is toasted seeded rye with horseradish cream cheese. Pastrami smoked lox. We didn't even talk about that. Right. Love that. Yeah, I which love is that as excellent. Well. Red onions. And honey mustard. Our pastrami and our corned beef are always at the top. We go through about 800 pounds a week of each. Amazing. Um, when we first opened, it was pretty much that a day. Pastrami doesn't have to be relegated just to beef. I mean, I don't know a lot of other things, but pastrami style smoked salmon is delicious. 
Yeah, and we bring it in, order through Samaki, okay. who, who does it. I had first seen it in New York City. I was blown away by it because I love pastrami so much. And the fact that it has that seasoning and we do our own um, in-house cured gravlax, but that was something we order and it's just beautiful because with lox, getting into the smoked fish was probably the most intimidating thing for me, just getting the slicing down because it's an art in its, it's own. It's very and, difficult. Yeah, and it's just like, I could be cocky. Yeah, I've been chef for 30 years and I'm just like, cut this and do that. But like, I... I'm a pretty humble guy, but it took some time because I have like a little bit harder of a hand. Um, it's fine for breaking down things, but cutting it so thin so that you can read the New York Times, you know, it's it it's an art. It really is. But news to nobody, I, I've been a restaurant guy my whole life and running a deli, opening a deli has been a challenging thing. It's all the moving parts are different. Having a case and how you maintain things in your case, mm -hmm. the production, the service, the flow, expediting everything from there and the different stations and what needs to be kept up with in your prep, totally different yeah. as opposed to your, okay, we start dinner service at five and we have our brunch on the weekends. Mm -hmm. and doo -doo -doo. It's very different. The most rewarding thing I think for me is seeing like my GM or some of my team go up and, hey, Miss and Miss Halpern, how are you guys doing? And older Jewish couple coming in for the their, their sliced pastrami, their their chopped liver. Here's your fresh thing, a hala. Hey, and them saying, hey, try out some kasha varnish giz we just made. Love to get your feedback. I'm just like, this is why I started this. You know, this is why my business partner and I did this because it's the experiences that you're able to create. And the, I think one of the biggest reasons I'm in this business is because I've always been a person that enjoys creating experiences for people. And there was a lot of time in my career I was stuck in kitchens and I was watching the chef on the floor in his white chef jacket doing that. And I kept looking out there going, I want to be that guy. I want to be able to talk to the people. I want to be able to see and feel their experiences as opposed to just working 12 hours on the line and smelling like crap at the end of the night, yeah. which was very rewarding to me in a different way. But I think Jewish Deli kind of creates that community too. Like where yeah. you're sitting around having a nosh yes. with your friends, with your family. Well, if you're in Stockton, New Jersey, you know, you need a moment of nostalgia. Make your way over to Borscht Belt for an amazing pastrami sandwich. Hi, I'm Chef Nikki Liberato from the Borscht Belt in Stockton, New Jersey, and you're listening to Ingredient Insiders. I want to go back a little bit with Nick because you get into the world of TV Yeah. because you're doing these bar makeover shows. You're in LA. <laughs> you're working in great restaurants. How many years are you there? I was there for 21 years. 21 years. It was a challenge for me only because I had been working so long in fine dining. Every one of us sometimes has to understand how to dumb down your food or what's going to work for that particular concept or that type of demographic. Kind of led into 2014 when I took over the Venice Whaler beachfront bar, you know, restaurant that was underperforming, $3 million business, real dive bar. The TV show morphed into an actual restaurant gig for you. And that's exactly what happened. It was just like, oh my God, I'm living up our rescue right now. Yeah. It's a tourist trap. It's a great location, but they probably gave two shits about the food, the service. And then Nikki told me he was taking it over. And I said, oh, I got to go. You brought in the right crowd. The food was amazing. I think I had fish tacos Yum. and everything was done right. And turned it into a, a better brand that made sense for the community, built on that much more of an institution of what the place already was, but made it a food destination. We multiplied the numbers of revenue, the costs were that much on, as opposed to just ordering from your US foods and, and Costco type yeah. orders, which is what they had. I diversified our vendors and was going to the farmer's markets and was 
really thinking things out and working with people as you know, you guys do with Chef's Warehouse, you know, it's just, you're connected with your product, connected with your farmers and you care, you know, that turned into taking over a property across the street. And I was sitting there and I was like thinking to myself, God, I'm taking over all these beachfront properties. They're all tourist traps. Look at all these underperforming businesses that are along the coastlines and that have beautiful views. And then that kind of transferred into the idea for Restaurants on the Edge. So Nick has this show on Netflix, mm-hmm. two seasons called Restaurants on the Edge, which is amazing. I mean, this is kind of the story. It's it's really where Nick would go around the world finding restaurants in beautiful locations. Mm-hmm. And, but they were struggling. They weren't doing like hitting, right. They weren't hitting their potential. They weren't using the right yeah. ingredients. Nick comes in with his team and they transform your restaurant. And at this point in my career, I'm chef, of course, but it's like I've also, I've moved into more of a, a restaurateur role where I'm, you know, in the operations and putting the teams together and uplifting and creating bigger positions for people and building leadership and that kind of stuff. Grow it from there. But um, there's not a day that I'm not in the kitchen. And you're very different than a lot of let's say TV people, you're very caring about what you do. And I'm assuming when you went to those restaurants that you were helping to fix up, even though you were making a TV show, I'm going to bet that you really cared. I'm going to make this food better. I'm going to make this place a success. Yeah. You know who I am. I mean, you know, I'm a pretty laid back guy and I really care about people. The big part of the restaurants on the edge was uplifting restaurants in a positive way, regardless of what's already been on TV. And even the show Bar Rescue I worked on was definitely a little gnarly at some times. But, you know, you got to turn the heat up. And that's what happens in kitchens. And that's why chefs are perceived a little crazy because they care. They're passionate. Well, this has been amazing, Nick. Thank you so much. If you're on Instagram, at Chef Nicky, you should definitely follow him. And if you haven't seen the TV show Restaurants on the Edge on Netflix, check it out. It's a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. This episode is sponsored by Schaller & Weber, makers of German-style smoked meats and a longtime partner of the Chef's Warehouse. John, I am so excited. We are sitting in Bloom Restaurant, which is Schaller & Weber's restaurant, I guess, on the Schaller Upper East Side. Schaller & Weber. If you grew up in New York mm-hmm. or you live in New York, Schaller & Weber is... An institution. We're lucky enough to be sitting next to Jeremy Schaller, third generation owner operator. So it's so fun being down here in the basement below the magic that's happening at Schaller and Weber. And if you do hear some beeping in the background, that is because there is a construction project. You've got a new restaurant opening pretty soon upstairs here. So don't mind the, the if you hear some beeping or doors slamming. We are live down here in the basement just below Schaller and Weber. We're in what, Yorkville? Is that the name of this area, this part of Manhattan on the Upper East Side? Yeah, yeah. It's still called Yorkville. Um, this used to be Germantown. Um, yeah. There used to be 30 some odd restaurants, all German, um, up and down 86th Street. They used to call it Bratwurst Boulevard. If you think about uh, Little Italy or Chinatown to what it is today for immigrants and when they first came here and settled in New York, um, this was the spot. But I feel like it's really kind of uh, slimmed down. It's you and Heidelberg next door. Correct, yeah. And you're also taking over a new space, right? Yep, yep. And if you're gonna describe Schaller and Weber, I mean, it's I, to say it's a German delicatessen is not capturing at all what it is. How do you describe it? It started as what we call the pork store. And it was a Jersey pork store because it was back in 1937, my grandfather, when he started it, he would get all of his meat fresh from New Jersey, like right over where 
the George Washington Bridge. The farms were like right there. So it was local. That was how it started. We had a smokehouse within this building that actually where we're sitting right now was a smoker. Everything that was made by Shaler and Weber was made here on premises. Eventually we grew and we bought a facility out in Queens and we had that um, facility for 50 some odd years. So we've been just, you know, growing and we're here today to specifically be talking about pastrami and we know that you guys have an incredible incredible pastrami can you tell us a little bit about you you know the one that you make here so we've gone through different periods of our pastrami and it's kind of funny because when my father when my grandfather started it was a brisket pastrami then my father changed it to a navel then they changed it to a top round up until about 2005. Then my dad wanted to change it back to a navel. (laughs) And then we decided with Harold, who's our production manager, to go back to a double-A brisket. So that's what we use now. Okay. And um, I think a lot of it has been, trends have changed, what pastrami, what people are looking for. Sometimes people wanted a leaner thing based on health purposes. Sometimes they want a little more fat just on flavor profile and great taste. Yeah. And we're back to that. So right now, I am so happy with our pastrami. It is delicious. And uh, yeah, it, I mean, there's a lot of marbling in there, a lot of flavor. Um, since we changed it back to a double-A brisket, it's, our sales have gone phenomenal. In the deli here, do you serve pastrami sandwiches? Absolutely. We just started a new sandwich program. We do a fantastic Reuben. You guys make it from scratch, so to say. And then yep. you actually sell it to, I know Chef's Warehouse, we buy... Yep. Pastrami, as, as well as a number of other of your cured meats. And- the bratwurst and mm-hmm. some of the other dried sausages. Yep. Sauerkraut, um, a lot of the, some condiments, and I believe. And- the cheddar brats are my absolute favorite. We had a chance to walk through the store and I just was, my mouth, you know, my jaw dropped looking at all the beautiful meats. I'm just curious, what are some of the top selling items at Schaller and Weber? Sure. I mean, obviously, bratwurst is probably far and away our number one. Black Forest ham is very much a good seller for us. My grandfather actually changed the way that Black Forest ham is perceived in this country. He was the first one that made it to a pumped, cooked, and smoked ham. Prior to that, it was um, more like a Schwarzwaldschinken or a Speck kind of product. So more dried? Um, in Germany, that's how you would okay. get a Black Forest ham. Oh, I didn't and know that. they would actually dip it in blood, in, in pork blood. Oh. So. Hmm. This, good. yeah, so he changed it to molasses because the American market wasn't too keen on the the blood. And um, so that's why it has the dark exterior. That's yeah. cool. And then Boar's Head, Deetson Watson all kind of kind of copied that. That's product, very so. cool. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know that. Interesting little tidbit there. And then uh, after that, I mean, sausages are so big for us. It's such a German thing. Knockwurst, Weisswurst. So if you're visiting New York and you're listening to the podcast, Make sure you get to the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Come in and make a picnic. We're not too far from Central Park. Or come in and they've got a beautiful, beautiful. Oh, I didn't even know about that park. There's a beautiful. It's my favorite park in the city. Really? Yes. It's a hidden gem. It is hidden gem. And you can get yourself a. You can get bratwurst to go here, right, from the counter. From stew. Yeah, the stew. Yeah, yeah, that's our little to go uh, bratwurst. Well, all sausage concept. Eighty-six and Second Avenue on the Upper East Side. Thank you for being such a great partner of the Chef's Warehouse. We love your products. We distribute them. If you're at a restaurant, you can buy these items from the Chef's Warehouse. And uh, it's another just valued partnership with a great producer here in New York City. Thank you, Jeremy. Thanks, Jeremy. Great, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. 
Like what you hear, write us a review and subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Ingredient Insiders or Twitter at Where Chefs Talk. All the products we talked about on this episode can be purchased at chefswarehouse.com.